0: There we go. All right. Well, welcome here today. My name is Tom. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. How many of you can tell me how old the Dominion of Canada is today? 151. Wow. You're pretty good. You're pretty quick with that. Were you studying up? A little trivia? Happy Canada Day. Some of you really came dressed for it. I am impressed. There's a lot more red in the audience than I'm normally used to. That's really, really good. Well, most of us here today, we welcome those of you who are of other nationalities, but most of us here today are Canadian. Is that true? But yeah, I can, I can safely assume that. We love our country. We're proud of who we are, and if you were born a citizen, uh, you counted a privilege to be Canadian. If you were not born a citizen of Canada, and you are now a citizen of Canada, then at some point you had to Become one. You had to choose to be part of Canada. And every year, people from all over the world become proud uh, Canadian citizens. This is Stephen Mulder. Some of you met him a few years ago when he he was visiting. He's one of our alpha directors in Canada. Great guy. He would have been uh, born and raised as a South African native. And this is just last week. He went through his citizenship ceremony and became a citizen uh, of Canada. How many others are here who have gone through the citizenship ceremony? Can I see some hands? Andrea, Diana, Peter, anyone else? They could, oh, Rose, anyone else? They could tell you that in that ceremony, you actually pledge your allegiance. I know that some of you were born as citizens. You're going to be shocked by this. Yeah. They pledge their allegiance to the Queen of Canada. Did you know that? Did you know we had a queen? Yes, Yes, you did. But they've specifically pledged their allegiance to Queen Elizabeth II, the Queen of Canada, promising to faithfully observe the laws of Canada and fulfill your duties as a Canadian citizen. Brilliant. Now, as followers of Jesus, those of us who profess to follow Him, we are Christians. You have, if I can put it this way, you've pledged your allegiance to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of the world. And in your baptismal ceremony, here I have a recent picture from one of our citizenship ceremony I mean, baptismal ceremonies there's hunter there were others on on that day and 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 if we can put it this way in our baptismal ceremony we were received into full citizenship in the in in the kingdom of of god and 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 in that ceremony as we are receiving and and acknowledging all all that god has done for us we're also promising to live by god's grace and by the holy spirit according to the the example and the teachings of, of jesus and in that sense to fulfill our duties as a citizen of of god's kingdom we are both of these identities, Canadian and, and Christian, or you can, you know, whatever nationality you might be here today, and and, and Christian. I I said to Tom yesterday at sunset, he, he asked me what I was going to be preaching on today. I said, well, I'm going I'm to talk about how to be a Christian Canadian. He said, like, that's different than being a Peruvian, or a you know, Christian Peruvian, he said. Uh, I don't know why he came up with Peruvian, but I said, no, not that different, actually. But yeah, okay, so... We are both these identities, and yet these identities are not equal in status. When we become followers of Jesus, we become members of the body of Christ, which transcends race, transcends geography, transcends time. We become part of God's multi-ethnic family, taking up seats at God's family table alongside Afghans and Cambodians and Nigerians and Poles. And it's not that our, our national citizenship or our ethnic heritage doesn't matter. It's just that it doesn't matter as much as our citizenship in the kingdom of Christ. One ancient writer, writing around the second century, um, he famously characterized Christians as now belonging to a unique third race. His name was Aristides. And he was looking at how, you know, When the gospel, the good news about Jesus hit the world, the world, at least from the Jewish lens, was divided into two categories of people. People love to divide things into two categories, right? Well, according to that that category and the categories you see a lot through the Bible, uh, New Testament, the category of division was Jew and Gentile, us and them. And every different group had their own category of us and, and them. But what they acknowledged is as the good news flowed out, from, from the Jews then to the Gentiles, what happened is these people started getting together in this one unique family. And and because of that, it was something else entirely. Because of what Jesus had done, it was, it was like a new kind of human being, a new kind of race, as it were, had been created, and no longer defined by bloodline, by political oath, by clan or nationality. And the idea that Christians who are now members of a third race, as it were, flow directly from this teaching that we see all over the New Testament about being in the family of God. Particularly, I mean, there's a lot of them, but I'll pick particularly one of the verses uh, would be Galatians 3, where this Apostle Paul says, In Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have, been, have clothed yourselves with Christ. And he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, Neither slave or free, there's neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. What he goes alongside is the three basic divisions which everyone divided everyone up based on, right? What's your nationality, what's your economic status, and what gender are you? And, and that's how things were divided up. And we say, in the family of God, those are no longer divisions that are relevant. We are one in Christ. We are this one new humanity. But for anyone who joins the family of God, this creates tensions, or it can can't it? Because the question is, how can we be fully-fledged members of this third race, this multi-ethnic, multilingual, multinational, multi-generational family of God, and yet still function as active members in our own particular country, our own particular citizenship? As we look at it today, as Canadians. And sometimes the tension's not very dramatic. We bump along, and things are pretty normal, and you love your neighbor and. You know, you you live, you worship, things are are fairly cool. But at other times, it has a bitter edge to it, this tension. The early Christians and Christians down through the centuries faced this identity clash. The early Christians faced it immediately. Their faithful allegiance to Jesus just was not going to be ignored by political authorities that wanted full allegiance to be given to them. In the first or second centuries, Declaring that Jesus is Lord and Savior, which to us sounds like such a kind of a spiritual thing, you know, due to our own Western cultural heritage of individualism and privatization where we take faith and we shove it off in a box to the side and say, as long as it you know, as long as your faith stays in a box over here and doesn't, you know, mingle into the rest of life, we'll let you believe whatever you want to believe. That's part of our inheritance. Well, we think Jesus is Lord and Savior is some sort of spiritual thing. You just believe on the side, but oh no. It wasn't just a spiritual thing, it was a radically political statement. In the first centuries after Christ, declaring Jesus Lord and Savior of the world was a problem. Do you know why? Because there was someone else who already had the title. He happened to be Caesar. And they would call him, literally, Lord and Savior of the world. Oh, wait a minute here. So when I then now start claiming that Jesus is Lord and Savior of the world, suddenly I have a problem. Who is Lord and Savior really? Like which one? Is it Christ or is it is it Caesar? And and Christians responded very clearly with the most basic profession of Christian faith from those earliest days. They say Jesus is Lord or if you span it out Jesus is Lord and Savior. And whenever they were saying that, they were implicitly saying and Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Nero is not Jesus is Lord and Savior. Augustus is not. Domitian is not. Caesar is not. Jesus is. These Christians at local events would be required to pinch a little bit of incense, you know, just do a little bit of obeisance to the to the emperor and sort of say something like, you know, hey, Nero is Lord and Savior. But guess what? They wouldn't do it. And so all of a sudden, these Christians were seen as disloyal Romans, as political dissidents, as traitors. And at times it resulted in just sort of social rejection and ostracization. But at other times it blew up into full-blown persecution where where Christians were were seen as the problem. They were against Roman family values. They were against the stability of the country. And and they would be blamed for things. And we see particularly Caesars like Nero and Domitian. The book of Revelation was written to churches suffering this kind of persecution. They were the ones seen as the problem. Because they wouldn't call Caesar Lord and Savior, they believe Jesus was. Well, down through the history, this tension has ebbed and has flowed. But each generation, each culture, each nation, each plan in all places have been challenged to work out this question. How are we to be both God's people and people of our, our chosen or our inherited nation? Or to maybe put it more bluntly, how can we be good citizens and god's citizens well in honor of canada today canada day today i thought uh, i'd like to reflect on this question uh together and uh today's scripture uh, i'm rooting our conversation in in a scripture from a little letter that paul wrote to christians in the roman colony of philippi paul was this great church planter and uh he went around and 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 through a vision actually he ended up in this roman colony of, of philippi extremely Gentile place, or, and, he, and he met, met some folks who, who came to know who Jesus was and, and began to experience life transformation, and, and a little church was formed there. And this church became a real supporting church of Paul, and, and were, we're behind him and, and as he went to other places spreading the good news about Jesus. But in a letter he wrote to them to give them encouragement and guidance, he told these Philippian, or as you'll hear soon, these Roman Christians, he said this in 127, just the first part, He said, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now this phrase, citizens of heaven, is actually a really relevant phrase for them. And it helps us get going into our question today about being good citizens. You see, Paul knew who he was talking to. The people of this Roman colony of Philippi, they prized their Roman citizenship very highly. Philippi was located at the site of a famous battle in just 42 BC where the forces of Mark Antony and Octavian went up against the forces of Brutus and Cassius and defeated them. You might remember the name Brutus and Cassius. Do you remember the name? Think of Caesar with a bunch of, you know, Ides of March, that kind of stuff, right? Those guys. Guilty of assassinating Julius Caesar along with a few other senators. They were defeated there, and as a result, Philippi was given an honor. They were, they were made a colony of Rome, and it wasn't just the, the, the city proper. It was probably 700 square miles around there. And they became home to a bunch of retired Roman soldiers. And as a colony of Rome, Philippians were granted the same rights and privileges as citizens of Rome itself. And this is very special. It wasn't given out very often. These Philippians were not required to pay tribute to Caesar. They were allowed, you might not know this, but if you were a Roman citizen, there were certain clothes you could not wear. And so they were given permission to wear Roman dress. Think togas. Okay? And, and they were given permission to use Roman coins as opposed to just their national coinage. Um, they were given permission to speak Latin. They didn't have to speak in the barbarian tongue. And, and they were allowed to observe Roman holidays. So they were given all the rights and privileges of being Roman citizens. It was kind of like, I mean, maybe an analogy today would be like a modern-day embassy of one country that's in another, and that bit of embassy is like, like being on national soil back home. It's kind of like that. Philippi was like a mini-Rome in Greece. And if you were born there, you were as Roman as the kid born in the steps of the Colosseum. And they were very proud of this, very proud to be Romans, proud of their citizenship. So it's to these proud Romans who have now become Christians that Paul says, Above all, live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Paul knows how much they value their citizenship in Rome. And guess what? Paul values his citizenship in Rome because he was born somewhere where he also was a born citizen. And in fact, it was in Philippi that Paul used his Roman citizenship to gain himself some advantage. So he is not, he's not uh, opposed to that. But now he calls them to live above all from their higher citizenship status, their heavenly citizenship. And, and heavenly is kind of a funny word because due to some things we've been taught or believed over the years, we kind of think heaven is just a place you go when you die, you float around or something. That is not what they mean. Heaven here. It's not this esoteric, non-earthly. It's very practical. It's very real. In the New Testament, heaven represents the rule of God, which extends over all creation. We're taught to pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is a way of saying we want God's rule to extend over all this creation. Over the months of summer, just starting next week, we'll be exploring a series of kingdom parables in Matthew 13. And all the parables, the first one talks about the kingdom. Every other parable after that begins with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, and it's the same as the kingdom of God, is like. And the words heaven or God's rule, God's reign, they're interchangeable here. So We say citizens of heaven, it's citizens of God's rule, citizens of God's kingdom. The point here is that from the moment that people became part of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, They now have to figure out what does it mean for us to live as national citizens, as members of this country, of this clan, as Canadians, in light of our higher citizenship. What does it mean to live in a manner worthy of the good news in this nation, at this time, in this place? So that is what we're going to turn to. I think there's at least four ways. I'm sure there are more. But I want to touch on them briefly today. I think you're going to see how each of these points could be expanded quite largely. But for your sake, I won't. There we go. Maybe you'll take them home with some suggestions today for further reflections. How can we live as Christian Canadians? The first way we live as Christian Canadians is that we pray. Now, I know that some of you think, really, prayer is a profoundly political act. You need to hear this. Prayer is political. Prayer is the first and primary way that we act in Good citizenship. When the same apostle, Apostle Paul, wrote to his younger protege pastor, Timothy, he was very direct. He said this in 1 Timothy 2. He said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he narrows the category. For kings and all those in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What are we praying for? Listen, we are not, when I say we pray, we are not praying our party's platform. That is not what we're praying. If I can put it this way, we're praying God's platform. We're praying that his kingdom would come. We're praying that Jesus would be known. We're praying that lives would be lived in such a way that they can see the goodness of God and be transformed by the goodness of Christ. We're praying according to His agenda, which, as we see in this uh, First Timothy letter, is oriented around the kind of lives God's people need to be living so that they're revealing God's character and goodness to their neighbors. And the point is so that people will come to understand what God has done in Christ for the whole world whatever nationality, whatever clan, whatever place, they would come to know Jesus, come to know the truth of who he is. This is super important. Can I speak very directly? We need to embrace our calling as kingdom prayers, praying as citizens of heaven, praying in ways that are worthy of the good news of Christ. We need to make talking to God about our politicians The primary way we speak about politicians. As opposed to all the speech we have criticizing, vilifying, exalting, praising, wanting to kill X, Y, and Z leader. Or at least we speak in such ways. Our prayer to God about our leaders. About those in authority. Needs to be the primary way we speak about them. And our concern needs to be Paul's concern. God's concern. He's praying that, that these leaders would lead in such a way that the gospel would flourish, that the good news of Jesus would go out, that people would be able to live, yes, peaceful and quiet lives so that others can come under the reign of God. And just so you know, this doesn't just mean that things are always hunky-dory. Paul is writing these letters. The two I've quoted, Timothy and Philippians, he's writing them in chains. He's writing them as a prisoner of Rome himself. And he's saying, actually, guys, you know what? I'd rather not, you know, be shackled to this dude. But actually, this is like working out for the good news anyway. The good news is now spreading through Caesar's household. The good news is, you know, I get chained to a new guy every eight hours. He gets to listen to me talk about Jesus the whole time. He holds my pen while I'm writing to you, you know. This is not a bad thing. He's saying he, he's convinced the gospel is not shackled. It's going out. And he, and this is what he's wanting to pray for. And he, he's saying, look, you don't have to like the leaders you're praying for, but you do have to pray for them. I mean, Paul is telling Christians to pray for Caesar. We do get that, right? They're never popular, you know, with with, with, with uh, the Christians were never popular with the Caesars. There were some that were worse than others. But he's he's saying, look, this is who we are called to pray for. Our prayer is all about the good news of Jesus. It's all about God's citizens living as God's citizens so that other citizens can become God's citizens. You know what I'm saying? So pray into that. You want to be a good citizen? Make prayer a priority in your political speech. Pray as God's citizen that more people will discover who Jesus is and become a citizen of his kingdom. If we prayed as a people as much as we complained or ranted or vilified or exalted, we'd have a spiritual revolution on our hands. It would change the way we think. It would change the way we act. It would certainly change the way we speak or post about our favorite whipping boy or political leader on Facebook. We pray. We speak to God about Canada. We speak to God about Canadian leadership, be that at the municipal level, provincial, or federal. We pray to God and speak to God about judges, about policies, about concerns. We speak to him more than we speak to anyone else as we pray in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. First, we pray. Second, we live as Christian Canadians when we proclaim. Just like the Roman Christians who said, Jesus is Lord. This is our basic proclamation. We declare The overarching sovereignty of Jesus Christ before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We take seriously the biblical fact, not idea, not opinion, fact that the kingdom of God has come in Christ and is here to stay. And no earthly kingdom, no earthly nationality or program or policy will outlast or outmatch the everlasting matchless kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this is what we proclaim. And some of us, we've got to get that down deep. We've got to drill down and let it actually change our perspective. Because I don't know about you, but in conversation I have with people about world affairs or this political thing or that, guess what I hear more than anything else? I hear fear. From Christians, from people who believe Jesus is Lord, and they're afraid. Or what's worse, perhaps, their fear turns to anger. This is not appropriate. It's not right. Jesus is Lord. And the first thing we may need to proclaim is to each other, like in each other's eyeballs and say, oh, do you remember? Like, Jesus is Lord. He's the king. Trump or Trudeau, Jesus is the king, folks. Jesus is the king. And we need to believe that and declare that and proclaim that to each other. He's the king. And we can boldly live under his leadership because his leadership outstrips all other leadership. We need to take heart. So we proclaim in a variety of ways. I realize that. We proclaim by sharing the good news about Christ with our neighbor or our friend. Doing, Remember what we did a few weeks ago? We We learned together how to tell the good news about Jesus using four circles. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go to our website, listen to the message, I don't know, somewhere at the end of our family series, and there's a... YouTube clip you can watch. Learn how to tell the good news to others. The good news that God, no matter how messed up the world is, God has done something in Jesus and is doing something in Jesus and is doing something through the church to make it right. This is good news. This is part of proclaiming the Lordship of Jesus as we share the difference that makes in people's lives. We share that evangelistically. We also proclaim the uh, Lordship of Jesus when we have to stand up prophetically and speak against something that's wrong. We, we're, we're looking in, into areas of life where, where, where the lordship of Jesus is not being followed, where people are being hurt, tossed to the side, ruined, where some area of creation or, or, or some aspect of our, our society are, are being ignored. And I'm going to get to more of that in a moment, but we have an opportunity to proclaim the lordship of Jesus by saying, that is not right. As followers of Jesus, we, we stand against that because Jesus is lord and his lordship has shaped our priorities. We speak prophetically. We also proclaim the lordship of jesus when we gather to worship That's one of the primary reasons why when we gather we sing and we pray we have our vision restored Where we proclaim the lordship of jesus from our own hearts and lives through the songs and the prayers and the readings and, and the listening It is so important that we gather as the community of god to remember who is the lord because throughout the week we can forget Throughout the months, our vision gets cloudy. We start thinking that there are other lords around. And guess what? They aren't lords like Jesus is. They don't have the status. They don't have the longevity. They are not who Jesus is. And so we gather to worship and proclaim him. And this is where those of us who are just exploring who faith is, what, who Jesus is and what faith is, this is important to know. That when, when, when Christians gather and they're singing to God, what they're doing is they're saying, Jesus, you are Lord. And it's kind of like you're reminding yourself as well as you're declaring God's praise because he's worthy of it. We proclaim the lordship of Jesus when we gather so that when we scatter, we can live out his lordship in our lives whether it's evangelistic or prophetic or as we worship we proclaim jesus we make him famous we proclaim him in a manner that is worthy of the good news of christ but not all about what we say is it it's also about what we do how we act and so the third way i believe that we can live as God's citizens is that we protect some of that is speaking we speak out on behalf of those who are vulnerable those who are ignored, those who are harmed. We often have to do that to our own detriment, the detriment of our social status, the detriment of our in-group. We often have to do that because we don't just speak it, but we live it. We act sacrificially and serve those who need help, who need protection. And so we, we both speak and act as, as as emissaries of God in bringing protection to, to people and to places that that are vulnerable. Now this is all over the scripture. Where we're called to care for the poor. We're called to care for widows and orphans. We're called to care for foreigners. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're called to be stewards of God's creation. We're called to care for those who don't have a, a voice. The voiceless. Whether that be aborted babies. Whether that be displaced people seeking asylum. Whether that be missing and murdered indigenous women we are called to protect on behalf of God and his care for others on behalf of the lord of all creation we stand as his ambassadors we stand as his citizens and we protect now this is where the parties begin to divide this is where the body of christ begins to line up on opposite sides of the walls because we may be our members of a certain party that protects certain things And the other parties line up around the things they want to protect. We all know this is true. Well, as Christians who have declared the lordship of Jesus as their highest status, we are called to live out the good news in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ for the sake of people and areas of creation that are in danger of being destroyed. And what this means, I think this is where we get to the prophetic edge as well. What this means is you may, there may be, I know for some of us, there may be a political party that seems to most align with your values. And you might even say most align with God's values. I'm not going to argue with you on that. But chances are that that particular party has things it protects and things it does not protect. Each one of them. And so the call that you will have in your particular party is not just to project out at the others who believe differently than you, shouting at them about the things that you're trying to protect. But it's actually to turn to those who most agree with you and say, okay, I can see how we are trying to protect uh, hmm, creation. What about the unborn? I can see how we're really trying to protect, um, well, what would it be? The rights of women. But have you considered this area of, of, of the poor? You know, where we can look each other in the eyes and say, Every one of our parties, none of them line up perfectly. Some of us aren't even part of parties. I understand that. But where we are called to act under the lordship of Jesus for the sake of protection. And that means at times you are not going to be popular with the people that you most want to be popular with. Why? Because your citizenship in heaven is of higher status than your citizenship in this country, but also your membership in any particular political party. And so we, under the lordship of Jesus have to speak on behalf of those who cannot speak. need to act in protection. And this will make us sometimes tremendously unpopular, even with those you would normally align with. It also means that we will seek the best interests of others at times to our own detriment. At times we will seek the best interests for others in the sake, uh, for the sake of truth, for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of protection, and it will mean you will be harmed as a result. Do you know that that is inherent within the gospel? Jesus himself called us, as his people, to live as he lived, which means there are times when we bend down and wash someone's other's feet. There are times when we lay our lives down on behalf of others. Where we even say, I'm willing to give this up for the sake of someone else. That is the gospel. If he says we are supposed to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus, surely it means there are times when we will act in protection of someone to our own pain. It meant that for Jesus. It has to mean that for us. What will that mean for you? I don't know. But I do know that we need to speak and live in a way that is worthy of the good news of Jesus. And then the fourth way is slightly broader now, but I think important, is that we participate as Canadian Christians. We engage as God's kingdom citizens in good Canadian citizenship. Living as Christ's ambassadors, yes, but living into the places that we, are, that we are, living into our culture. Revealing in our actions who Jesus is with the integrity, with the godliness, with the holiness of our lives. I don't mean that as some weird up above looking down our noses, no, no. But living in a way that the way we interact with our neighbor, our friend, the way that we interact in our speech and in our prayer and our actions, it points people to Jesus and his good news, the good news that he is Lord and that he is committed to bringing the whole world to be reconciled under his Father. Yes, it means we participate as God has called us to live. It does mean, and this is scattered all throughout Scripture, I could show you the verses, it does mean we pay our taxes. It does mean we submit to every human authority that's been put in place in so far as it does not contradict the authority of God himself. It does mean we seek the welfare and the flourishing of the city or town or country that we live in. That we seek to make good neighborhoods flourish. Places where people, men and women and children, of any ethnicity, of any, t- any place, of any social economic status, making them places where people can live that peaceful life. A life where they're not harmed a life where they are cared for and they are loved and they are known, knowing that it is somehow in that context that people can discover there is a God who loves them, a Jesus who has saved them, a spirit who wants to live in them and change everything. We participate as heavenly citizens in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, the question as we close today is this. Where is your citizenship most challenging? Where is it most challenging? Is it in prayer? I mean, praying for a leader you dislike, is that tough for you? Because, you know, nowadays, guess what? You can divide up a room based on one question. Who likes Trump and who likes Trudeau? And they somehow line up pretty clearly. I mean, there's a few in the middle who can't make up their minds, but, you know, pretty clear. Or you can ask the same question in reverse. Who hates Trump or who hates Trudeau? And they seem to all separate into their little camps. But I'm telling you this, Jesus has not called us to like, and he certainly hasn't called us to hate, but he has commanded us to pray. He has commanded us to pray and to speak in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus. And so maybe that's where your conviction lies today. Maybe today you realize you've been speaking a lot more or emoting a lot more about this or that leader. When God is calling you to pray more, to turn your speech about to a speech to God about. Perhaps that's where your citizenship is most challenged today. Could it be in believing that Jesus is Lord? You know, it's hard to proclaim the Lordship of Jesus if you yourself aren't actually confident in it. If you are more afraid of what's going on in the world, than you are confident that Jesus is at work in the world. And perhaps you need to take the lordship of Jesus and begin to read about it more and study it more in the Bible and and, and begin to root this out and understand what it means that, that God has installed his king on his throne. His name is Jesus, and he ain't getting off. And no matter who comes and goes on what political spectrum where, Jesus is firmly seated on the throne, and his kingdom will last forever. Get that down deep. Then you're able to live it and proclaim it in a way that is worthy of the good news of Jesus. Or perhaps it's standing up for those who need protection in the face of those who want to destroy. God has given us different passions and gifts in areas of interest. I understand that. It's part of our gift as a community. But there could be an area where God is calling you to be the one who stands up to protect. Through prayer and intercession, but also speech and action. It could be that God is convicting you to speak of an area to your own fellows, politically or otherwise, where you need to begin to to push some boundaries. You know, we all agree on this, but what about this? Could it be that God is calling you to stand up as a citizen of His, to protect those that people are ignoring? And then perhaps it's just the challenge of being a fully engaged God-citizen, in the country, the city, the town, the street you live on. We begin to see your calling, to see the street you live on flourish. To see the men and women of this valley experience the goodness of God. We pray into that, live into that, engage into that. We become those good citizens on behalf of God's citizenship. To see our valley become a place of flourishing for men and women and children, a place of protection, a place of wholeness, a place of health. And in that context, the kindness of God is revealed. The goodness of God is experienced. Where is your citizenship most challenging? That's what I leave you with today, to go with that, to pray with that. Listen, I am so thankful to be Canadian. I am thankful. But I'm also more thankful to be Christ's, to be part of his multi-ethnic, multinational family, to know that there is nowhere we can go in the world where there are not brothers and sisters, and I may not know their language, but we share the same spirit. I may not know the, all, that, all that is, is true in, in their world, but we together form the family of God. I am so thankful. My prayer for us as the and Covenant Church, my prayer for you is that we would live with confidence, praying and proclaiming, protecting, participating as good citizens, as God's citizens. Would you stand and let's pray together. Jesus, you are Lord of heaven and earth, and we declare that today. In the face of powers that would seek to subvert you and destroy others, we declare that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. You are seated on the throne. Your everlasting kingdom will not fail, will not fade. And all other earthly leaders are under you. I thank you for the country we live in. Thank you for Canada. Thank you for the beauty of our land the beauty of its people. Thank you that this is a place where others have been welcomed in, where most of us here today were at one point, our families back, welcomed here. And we, Lord, we are thankful for this country, a place where lives can live at peace and experience your goodness. We pray for the country of Canada. We pray for its leaders be that political or in, in other areas of organizational life or, or societal, institutional life, people who make decisions that influence and affect the lives of others. We pray that, Lord Jesus, you would give wisdom and guidance to leaders, that even if they do not know you, they would make decisions that would lead to greater peace and wholeness for people. We pray for those who are followers of yours, your citizens who are in all levels of government or institutional leadership. We pray that you would gift them by your Holy Spirit wisdom to lead in a context like Daniel. Wisdom to lead in contexts that often are challenging to the Lordship of Christ. We ask that you would give them courage to lead and to love and to influence in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that as a church, we would live into our citizenship, be it when we gather or when we are scattered as your witnesses throughout the weeks, throughout the world. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would live under your Lordship, praying and proclaiming, protecting and participating in a way that is so worthy of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that lives are changed as a result. We love you and we give honor to you. Ask that in the areas today where we may have been challenged, that you would lead us more deeply into how you want to see our hearts or our perspectives or our actions changed. The way that we speak, the way that we pray, the way that we think. We submit to your Lordship and ask that you would lead us in that. We pray all all these things, Lord Jesus, because we know that this pleases you, pleases your Father, who wants all people to, to come to know you, to come to be rescued by you, to experience the full knowledge of who you are. That pleases you greatly. And we live for your pleasure. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, just two things before I let you go. One would be, next week, as you heard me mention, we're launching a new summer series on the the, the kingdom stories in Matthew 13. I think it's going to be a great series this summer as we try to explore what does it mean that God is at work in the world. The second one is more personal. I'm off on a week of holidays. I appreciate your prayer as uh, I try to recoup something I might have lost the last few weeks. And uh, I just want to let you know that. And uh, throughout the month of July, I'll be here and I'll be gone somewhat. But I am very thankful for all of you. You'll see me around um, here in the services. But I'm really excited for the series. I'm excited for the summer. And I uh, just know that I'm praying for you as, as I go. And I hope you'd be praying for me as well. Go in grace. Let's have some coffee.